You're listening to The Dollop. This is a bi-weekly American history podcast. Each week, I, Dave Anthony, read a story from American history to my friend. Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is going to be about. Oh. Not good? No. We just, it's hard to match your energy sometimes. It's a yeah, little erratic. I fucking bring it. No, I'm pretty consistent. It's just like pretty erratic. F- is that your phone? My phone, bro. It's blowing up. Oh, boom, boom, boom. Three texts. Come on. <laughs> How are you? How many texts did you just get? Three? Oh, no? You didn't get any? Oh, man. I don't worry. Things will pick up text-wise. You'll be fine. Get away from me, Jose. <laughs> God, you want to look at a dude? I'll do one buck. <laughs> people say this is funny? Not Gary Guerra. Dave, okay. Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickling Podcast. Okay. You are Queen Fakie of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle. And do what? Pray. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. I want to talk about something really quick. Um, I used to do. I used to say. Uh, I don't know if it was on this podcast, but occasionally I would say, "Don't ever uh, go to Universal City Nissan." Do you remember that? I don't because uh, I've been going there a lot. And some I people, I, I would say, "Don't buy a car there." And some people would be like, "Yeah, you had a bad time with the car company there." And I'd be like, "Yeah, well, it was a little bit more than that. Uh, they 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 did something really horrific." Uh, and sure enough, about two weeks ago, they were, uh, the feds cracked down on them. Oh, wow. So they're totally, they've been totally just f- fucking people over. An old-time scam that they've been doing, like that was done, that's been done for decades. Right. They're pulling this classic, just fucking bait-and-switch horse shit. So they're going down. Is my car definitely a bike? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 your car's a bike. Get your Nissan, enjoy it. It's a century. You're going to love it. So what I'm saying is, is when I, when I give people a warning... I generally do so for a reason, because I think that there's something, as opposed to just something like I had a disagreement with something, uh-huh. now there's generally something shady going on. Okay. So I want to talk about this Sofitel Hotel in Los Angeles really quick. Okay. Because that's where we held the podcast festival, and we had some disagreements with them about how they were handling things. Not so great. But then they did something that is so unconscionable and put someone's personal safety uh, in danger that I feel I need to talk about it. Sure. So that people do not bring their business there. Basically, we have, so we're a tight group of people that run this thing. Um, our wives come, our girlfriends come. And uh, someone's wife, the hotel neglected to put on the room. Okay. And uh, then they denied that they were told to put her on the room. So they their, their stories don't quite work. Right. The hotel stories, right? They're, they're, every every excuse they made was like that doesn't make any sense. It's Sofitel logic. Sofitel, yeah. Sofitel logic, yeah. So what ended up happening is they were told to put this person, this person's wife, on the room twice. Person had to leave that night. Uh, Not the, the wife, the other person. No, the, the, the person who was the the guy who works for the festival, right? Um, the wife had a key. She was down at the bar having a drink. Okay. She went to go back to the hotel room. The key didn't work in the elevator. Okay. They ended up kicking her out of the hotel at 2 o'clock in the morning. Okay. So they put a woman out on the street 
at 2 a.m. who had a key to a hotel room. Right. They wouldn't go up and check to see if her belongings were in the room, which really? they were. It, it is so fucked up and unconscionable that you cannot believe that a hotel did this. That's crazy. And so we will not be doing the podcast festival there again. And we would highly recommend that people do not use that hotel because this person could have seriously been hurt. Yeah, well, that's just crazy. I mean, they had a key yeah. to the room. They yeah. just, they just, they did not put her name on the room. Right. They screwed right. up. Right. So, yeah. So, no more. So, no more. And I highly recommend that nobody go there. Nobody go there. It, that's just, uh, it was just super dangerous. Yeah. And we're lucky that nothing happened to this person. Right. So, what did that person do? Um, ended up sleeping in her car. Oh, okay. On the streets of Los Angeles. Sure. Okay. Well, as long as we have like a happy ending. So I don't do that kind of stuff very often, but when um, something happens that I feel is a big deal, then I think people should be warned about. Um, that's the case here. I think. Well, that, and if uh, Sofitel, um, and if we're knocking down places, let's go. Don't go to Soup Plantation. Thank you. And I'm not even going to get into it. Mm-hmm. But they can go eat it. Yeah, they can fucking eat dick. Also, uh, Jeff's. Jeff's Mini Mart? Look, if we're really going down the list, the Shakey's Pizza on Santa Monica. Thank you. No, 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 no. I don't even want to get into the Uh, specifics. uh, Oh, uh, Roberto's Locksmith? Uh, Uh, Third? Uh Uh-huh. And and Western? Uh Uh-huh. Fuck that guy. Uh, The uh, Korean food truck in Uh Santa Monica on Olympic? Uh Uh-huh. No, thank you. Don't. No, thank you. That's actually the name of it. Uh, Bed, Bath, and Beyond? Um, I wouldn't go to Walmart. Time Warner Cable. Uh, I, AT&T, I wouldn't use them. Dole. Tyson Chicken. Uh, um, Nestle. I, would, I wouldn't get a Chevy. I probably wouldn't get a Chevy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now we're ready. August 30th, 1948. Okay. Fred Hampton was born in a suburb on the southwestern side of Chicago. He was the third child of Francis and Iberia, who had grown up in northern Louisiana. Iberia? Iberia. So what just happens with names? Names just go through this don't care. cycle where people just are like, you know what? Iberia's crazy. Liberia, I I be- imagine, Iberia. Iberia. I imagine it's an, an, an African name, I would imagine. Okay. I think it's, she might have been an immigrant maybe, but Iberia... It's, it didn't I, stick. It's, it, no, it didn't stick around in America. Uh, and then we're going to get a bunch of letters. Do the people send letters? Letters from people. No, no, no. Period. People send letters. Yeah. Their families farmed the same land. They Angrily had. yours, Iberia Johnson. <laughs> Their families farmed the same land. Their great-grandparents worked as slaves. Oh, so there you go. So you oh, was okay. right. from. But anyway, uh, Fred's father moved to Chicago in the 1930s looking for work and got a job at the Corn Products Company. Oh, boy. Where they made corn products. <laughs> Hey, yo, we got corn chips, Uh we got corn cars. Sure. What if I don't like corn? We got corn! Uh, Okay. Iberia also worked there, uh, becoming a a union steward. During a two-month strike, she cooked meals for 700 peoples every day. Wow. That's fucking crazy. Pressure. When Fred was 10 years old, they moved to Maywood, which is a working-class suburb west of Chicago. At that time, about 25% black people. Uh, Fred was clearly a very special kid. Uh, kids loved him. The teachers loved him. He was uh, never alone in elementary school. He was recognized as a sharp talker. Um, he loved to read, especially history. 
When he was in high school, Fred noticed that the black kids who weren't doing well were counseled out of school or flunked out. That is um, the idea of counseling them out. Hey, hey, yeah. so you're not really doing good in uh, uh, like learn a lot math. Yeah. Well, your grades are down in math and science and stuff. I'm still like catching up a little yeah, bit. But yeah, but what if you're caught up while working at a factory? I kind of want to get an education. Right. But you know where you can get an education? Where? There's different kinds of educations. But Kentucky Fried Chicken, if you work there, you get an education in making fast food. And then yeah. with that education, you can work for McDonald's. Right. But I was actually talking to my white buddy, Toby. Mm-hmm. And he was saying oh, that you recommended that he stick around and go to school. But, and I get better grades than that guy. Yeah, but Toby's a special kid. You're not as much. You're not as specialized. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. anyway, I'm here to help you get a job. I'm going to get out of here. At, uh, there's a manure factory. Okay, well, this is definitely getting better. The options are getting better. Uh, no programs were offered uh, to help these kids. Fred demanded more black teachers and more black administrators at the school. And Of it, course that happened. So it, that happened, then what's the next part? It worked. So th- What? What? David! Charles Anderson, Something quote, good happened? Charles Anderson, quote, Fred was the reason I was hired at uh, Proviso East High School as dean in charge of attendance. Until that time, I had been applying for six years and never had been given an interview. Wow. So Fred, as a high school student, is making shit happen. Right. Fred's push for change was just beginning. Only white girls were nominated for homecoming queen. So he organized a student walkout and boycott to protest. The result was his high school electing their first black homecoming queen. See, I bet you there was like a low white girl attendance at that. They were like, mm, no. <laughs> we, I mean, I totally want them to be able to use the same bathroom. What about but, next year? But I'm, I think maybe this year, let's not be so this ambitious. Isn't a good year. This year they can go to the dance and do whatever. Right. They could be on court. Right. But they can't win it's this, my this year. This it's year. My turn. This year. You don't spend four years cultivating relationships. To, to become the queen of homecomings, to have some progressive black person. I sound dislikable, don't I? Am yep. I coming off to? I am. Yeah. I am. Yeah. Okay. They can win if they tie with someone. Okay. Okay. Ties. Uh, so he, but he wouldn't charge in in like a fiery in your face way. He was. Like an amazing communicator. He was like born an amazing communicator. Okay. Uh, the principal quote, Fred's powerful and resonating voice called for calm and discussion. He worked uh, jobs as a teen, as a stock boy in a grocery store, a dishwasher, uh, and he found factory jobs in the summer. He also found jobs for other unemployed black teens in his neighborhood. Okay. So he wasn't just getting himself jobs. Yeah. He was talking other people into hiring kids. How? Just through the power of persuasion. He is just... That likable. He's that gifted of a speaker. Okay. He pushed the village of Maywood to fund a summer job program. He's bo- he's a, <laughs> this just doesn't sound possible. But there are people that come along that are born leaders. Yeah, sure. Okay. Fred was uh, helping others above himself. Quote, if you walk through life and don't help anybody, you haven't had much of a life. In 1965, when he was just 17 years old, he started the West Suburban Youth Chapter of the NAACP. Fred walked with Dr. Martin Luther King and was strongly behind the movement. But one day in Jefferson Park, during a march, 
a heckler walked up and spit in the face of a female marcher. After that, Fred told Reverend King he couldn't keep marching for nonviolence in the face of violent mobs. Oh, boy. In the fall of 1967, Fred and Jim Ivory urged a rally of black youth to go to a Maywood Village board meeting and demand a public swimming pool and recreation center. So okay. back then, pools are segregated. Right. And so also saying, other weird stuff. And other weird stuff. Uh, so, so now, so you can see a change in his... Yeah, he now... see a little shift. Right. He's pissed. They showed up. Like, I saw these kids showed up. But the board would not let them inside. The Maywood police then came and tear-gassed all the kids. Oh, that's fun. The crowd then ran down Main Street, breaking windows. Jesus. What a horrible... How horribly can you handle situations? Oh, that's... Uh, Yep, that's the worst worst way to do it all around. Fred and Jim Ivory. Well, you then, can imagine those white people, though, huh? Uh, oh no! Well, it just proves them, right? I told you that. That's why we oh, can't yeah. let them in pools. Oh, and then you heard they went on a window smashing tour. Good lord! L- let's forget about it. Our hot dogs are here. Fred and Jim Ivory were arrested and charged with mob action because charged their, with rationalism because of their speeches. Okay. After his arrest, he was put on the FBI's Key Agitator Index. It's a fun list. It's not as catchy as most of them. It's wanted. not as great. But it, you get a great bumper sticker. You yeah. get a nice vest. Yeah. Oh, you do get the vest. Yeah. Okay. Tote bag uh, with a vest. So this was a list of activists that FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover ordered FBI agents to monitor closely. <laughs> He's such a dick. He's like fucking 20 or some shit now. <laughs> or not even that. Maybe 18. Ugh. From then on, Fred was targeted by the Maywood police. And arrested over and over and over for bullshit traffic violations. It happened so much that he completely stopped driving. Oh, my God. At the You're s- under arrest for not having a car? Uh, no. Wait. No, I'm, I'm hey, not. Hey, back. Uh, at the same time, the Black Panther Party formed in California. Using open carry laws, they carried guns and policed the police. They were reacting to incidents of police brutality against African Americans. The Black Panthers grew and grew, and by 1968, they expanded from Oakland to many cities in the U.S. Fred Hampton joined in November 1968 and very quickly rose through the ranks, soon becoming chairman of the Illinois chapter at 20 years old. That's pretty good. 20 years old. Yeah. The Black Panthers started a breakfast program for children, providing free hot breakfast for kids before school. That's adorable. Fred went from site to site working at. So, I mean, have you ever? We'll do one about the Black Panthers at some point because it's just a crazy story. But they like their whole idea was like uplift the whole community while sort of stirring up face, right? Like both, right? Yeah. Uh, So Fred went from site to site working. They were. I mean, they were like the they were the frustrated arm of the uh, anti racist movement. Yeah, they basically basically were well agitators. Yeah, the agitators, but they were the let's get in your fucking face and see how yeah. you can handle it. Yeah, yeah, with your with but your again, roles. Using exactly your roles. right. That's that's the part because the truth is, at, like even as a kid, I remember when you'd hear about it, like it totally had a negative connotation. They were like they were disruptors. They were problematic. They were the issue. Yeah, and then the more you hear about it, the more you're like, oh, the more yeah. honestly, the more it makes you think how amazing Martin Luther King was because yeah. he hung in the pocket. So str- I mean, he was so like, oh, <laughs> he was Crazy. yeah. So Fred would go from site to site, working at breakfast programs, talking to the kids and their parents about the Black Panther Party. Kids were taught revolutionary songs, and soon the Black Panther Party was also running free neighborhood health clinics. 
Now, Fred didn't believe in bullshit. Once some Panthers from the West Coast were in Chicago, and they called the local office asking for some, quote, sisters to be sent down to the hotel. Oh, boy. Fred responded, quote, you can tell them Panther women in Chicago are working on Panther programs, not as whores for Panther leaders. Okay. So for a 20-year-old standing up to the West Coast guys, right. that was like a big fucking move. Right. That's some balls. Yeah. Uh, he didn't tolerate bullshit, as I said. In the Black Panthers, you have balls. <laughs> That's something. Uh, a good example of this was when uh, Black Panther William O'Neill, once Fred's bodyguard, told Fred he was building a rocket launcher. How do you... What's the segue? <laughs> you want some hot sauce? Yeah. I'm actually building a rocket. Uh, it's a squeeze me? I'm building a rocket. Oh, what's uh, you said? Uh, a little more coffee. What? I'm building a rocket to launch. Where? This place has the best waffles. Um, so Fred didn't keep this a secret. He called O'Neill in front of the entire Chicago chapter and told O'Neill he was crazy in front of everybody. <laughs> and then his actions made him suspicious. And then he accused him of being a police agent. Jeez. That's you got like when you hear that, you're like, dude, I, I was like confiding in you. My rocket. I was saying stuff. I'm a rocket launcher guy. Not it was going to be cool, dude. I was going to let you fire it. But O'Neill, this wasn't the first crazy idea O'Neill had. He had once built Excited. an electric chair. Whoa, 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 whoa. To be used, quote, to punish and deter informants. Wow. So wait. So, so O'Neill's coming up with some dude interesting ideas. <laughs> okay. Hard, hard to invent that because you got to test it a little. Fred said, the, "Yeah, that hurts real bad." Oh, that's a big one. Fred said the electric chair and missile were madness and ordered O'Neill to dismantle them. <laughs> Panther members in Chicago went door to door in many black communities to hear complaints, get signatures on petitions for community control of police. Okay. But gangs controlled the neighborhood. So in 1969, Fred worked out a treaty with the Black Disciples Gang. Together, he created an alliance with the Young Lords and Young Patriots to form the first Rainbow Coalition to protest police brutality. Those other gangs are, I believe, Latino gangs. Okay. Um, so the white man's dream is coming to fruition. Well, this was noted by the FBI and other law authorities. Oh, God. This was of great concern. The amount of flower vans that are showing up places. <laughs> a lot of flower vans lately, huh? Am I crazy? I don't see a lot of flower stores. In January of 1969, the uh, Chicago police arrested Fred when he was appearing on a local TV station. They arrested him when he was on TV? On TV. Oh, Jesus. The cameras were live as Fred was led away on an old traffic warrant. Oh, God. What a bunch of pricks. They did not handcuff him, which he thought was strange. Mm. And then they put him in the police car, and Fred saw a handgun lying on the seat. Mm. Fred immediately realized he was being set up. He put his hands outside the car and just started screaming, There's a gun in the car! There's a gun in the car! Somebody left a gun! G-U-N, guys. But because they had done it live on the air, there were people watching, so the police couldn't do anything at that. I'm sure you're going to further explain this. They were going to kill him. They were going to... Oh, so they're going to... Oh, shit. Okay. They were going to say he had a gun. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Okay. Five months later... I'm up to date now. Five months later, Fred was on trial for another charge. The summer before, an ice cream man had been knocked down inside his truck, and 71 bars of ice cream were handed out to local kids. (laughs) 
wait, wait. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, it's hard to it's hard to know if I'm rooting for that crime or not. I mean, it's Robin Hoodian. It's a summer crime. Yeah, the good humor man takes the brunt it of it, is, though. It is. It is. You know, I think that I think back then, although it's Maywood kid, so that's only twenty five percent. My buddy, black. my buddy Oren drove uh, an ice cream truck for oh, a summer. Terrifying. <laughs> I would go around with him. Oh God! And we would go and sell ice cream. It was such. It was just the weirdest experience yeah. being inside the thing. It played three songs too. Oh! And he said that when he'd close his eyes, he'd like hear the entertainer <laughs> in his brain on repeat. So. The police arrested Fred after the victim identified him from a picture. Fred had nothing to do with the great ice cream caper, but the cops flew the ice cream vendor back from Vietnam to testify against him. Oh, my God. So they wanted Fred. That's right? cr- Yeah. And that guy's like, after, that guy's like, I kind of hit the lottery. I'm going to make a week of it. It was one thing to be named on the agitator list, but when he started making peace with gangs, uh-huh. he became a serious threat. Right. Fred was convicted, and at his sentencing, the prosecutor asked, quote, Do you feel that a legitimate means of obtaining what you are after is armed violence or armed revolution? Fred answered, quote, I believe if we tried anything else, we would end up like Dr. Martin Luther King, who was now dead. You know what he should have said? What? I scream, you scream, <laughs> we all scream for justice. Oh! But... But his answer is fucking yeah, great. spot on. Yeah. Well, yeah, we try one of our guys tried that. Yeah. Right. Killed him. Remember right. that? Yeah. Fred was sentenced to uh, 2 to 5 years for a crime that was done with no weapon in which little was taken and having no prior record. So he's never been convicted of anything. If you give ice cream out, I feel like you should not be convicted. It's the craziest Sure, you knocked a driver out. It's the craziest sentence. What are you in for? I gave out a bunch of drumsticks. 72 ice creams. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking badass. 72 rocket pops. Rocket pops, bitch. Sunk me. Um, So it was a very harsh and uncommon sentence. A week after Fred was sentenced to prison, FBI agents raided the Black Panther headquarters. Agents told the Panthers that the office was surrounded that they had a search warrant, and that no one would be hurt if the Panthers did not resist. Well, okay, so they then broke being down. straightforward. Oh, sorry, did you say breakdown? I did say breakdown. Did you say breakdown? They then broke down the front door, Uh-huh. went upstairs, and pointed their guns at the eight people inside who were not at all resisting. But the remember the call? Yep. Well, it's just words. You know, things right. changed between that and the breaking down the it's door. It's just words, folks. Trump. Uh, the FBI seized $3,000 in cash and took property and records, which included lists of contributors. Okay. Oh, I thought you meant, like, vinyl. Nope. Food for the breakfast. You guys like cream, huh? Yeah, man. No. Oh. Were you talking about cream that goes on, like, a, like a pie? Like, or a the band. What? The records. No, man. Huh. Okay. We're not into fucking power trios. Get them out of here. I don't like their attitude. Uh, food for the breakfast program was dumped on the floor. Smart. And legally purchased weapons were taken. Right. Nothing was ever returned. Right. Mm-hmm. Because justice. Right. The eight Panthers on the premises were arrested and charged with harboring a fugitive, which was true. There had been a fugitive there hours before, but he was mm-hmm. gone. Mm-hmm. 
That's actually how the FBI got the warrant because they knew the fugitive was there. They knew this because the fugitive was an informant. So they sent... Wait, 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 wait. They got a guy who was a fugitive, and they sent him to the Black Panther office and then arrested them for letting in the guy that they sent. How? What? It's called fucking stopping crime. Okay. That's certainly not legal. <laughs> I don't, I'm sure. Yeah, it's entrapment. It's fudgery. It is, it is damned fudgery, sir. It's judicial fudgery. Yes, I am a lawyer. Your Honor, I object on the grounds of complete fudgery. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Plus, there's a lot of whim dangos going on here, All sir. All right. And a lot of flubberty do. All right. So, I object In on... summation to the Flub- jury. Flubberty do. Flubberty do. Whim dangos. And fudgery. Okay. I rest my case. Thank you. Nope, oh, sorry, I'm sitting on the wrong side. Weeks later, all this charges... This is my first trial. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. I sat at the prosecutor's table. Hey, I, hey I, truth be told, I'm not a lawyer. I'm so drunk. I'm a fudge salesman. <laughs> I'm opening that company called Fudgeries. Yeah. Wim Dangos. All right. Wim Dangos is uh, chocolate with marshmallow in the middle. Anyway, if you know, I hope you get off on this, but if not... I'm going to try to send them all some of those. I don't know what flubberty do's are, but I think it's a good name. Yeah. Hey, you have any ideas? Oh, wait, they got the verdict. <laughs> Weeks later, all charges were dropped. But okay. the news stories had done the damage to the Panthers, as was expected. Right. So now there's fodder for the media to be like, what a right. bunch of dicks. Look at what they're doing. On October 4th, 1969, someone shot a black Panthers office and the Panthers returned fire. The police were called. The police broke down the front door, confiscated more files, and beat the Panthers before leaving. The next morning, the Panthers were charged with attempted murder of the police. Uh, okay. Uh, the charges were then dropped because of many contradictions between yeah. police officers and in their arrest reports. Yeah. there's. Just, I mean, even that's hard to... <laughs> when did they beat you guys up? When we beat them. Or they after beat, they beat... I or, beat them... We beat each other. Badly. Uh, yeah, my name's Officer Making Stuff Up. Mm-hmm. Making, M-A-K-I-N. I'm Sergeant Full of Shit. Uh, in late October, Fred was released on an appeal bond. He and his girlfriend, Deborah Johnson, now seven months pregnant, rented a five-room apartment. It became like a second Chicago Panther headquarters. Okay. People were always staying there. These apartments were called Panther Pads, and they were happening all over the country. Panthers thought they would be killed at any moment, so they were moving out of their homes, away from their families, and staying with other Panthers in apartments. That's fun. Someone was always on guard at the front door or outside. Now, they're basically at war with the police at this point. So a bunch of cops have been killed. A bunch of Panthers have been killed. It's just fucking mayhem. Right. And nobody's budging. No way. Right. No one's backing down. The Panthers had high hopes for Fred. Quote, we wanted Fred to become a national spokesperson. Uh Uh-oh. He could say what everyone else did, but say it better. He had the ability to move people better than anyone I have ever heard. Things were heading in a very bad direction between Chicago cops and black activists and many others. This was after the Chicago Democratic Convention in 68, which was like a war on the streets between police and protesters. 
And then there was the FBI. Uh, the FBI had created COINTELPRO, which stands for Counterintelligence Program. Originally it kicked off in 1956 to destroy the Communist Party USA. There, the COINTELPRO actions were often illegal and usually covert. Okay. And in the late 60s, COINTELPRO was used to target black activists. In the mid-60s, Martin Luther King publicly attacked the FBI for not investigating white supremacist terrorism. Okay. J. Edgar Hoover called King a, quote, King, quote, the most notorious liar in the United States. <laughs> he, this dude, he's such a, I mean, yeah, okay. Martin Luther King. It, no. The most notorious liar. There. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, obviously. I mean, yeah, on. obviously. Yeah, yeah. Quite- he didn't even have that dream. <laughs> Liar! It was a nose on a prize! <laughs> Cointelpro sent King a suicide package. Now, mm-hmm. do you want one of those? No, I would not. No. Care package has a nice ring to it. Quite care suicide package. package. Sounds like the biscuits might be poisoned. I didn't even know they sent those. <laughs> right. Larry's suicide package. I mean care package. Shit, 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 shit. <laughs> Inside were audio recordings of sexual affairs Ugh. he had and a note telling him to kill himself. That is so crazy. I, I, I know about the – that they, they, they bugged his place and they had like those recordings, but that's cr- – I didn't know that they – They like explained how there was no way out of it and how it would destroy his – what he had built and then yeah. shut off himself. I know. They also tried to encourage fat, uh, Also the idea of being like, this man's unethical. It's like, you, you are saying that? I'm, uh, what? <laughs> They also tried to encourage uh, factions to uh, war with each other within the black activist communities. Oh, yeah. Then, in August 1967, the FBI started uh, COINTELPRO Black Hate. You know, I think one of the missteps of government, like, mm-hmm. when it comes to the top secret stuff still, like, they've gotten better with bills. Yeah. You know, now, like, the, the you know, whatever, if, if it's going to, like, cut down a bunch of... Trees, they'll yeah. call it the green movement right. or whatever. But if this That's is pretty spot on, this is pretty. They, it, it, but anytime it's like an internal government thing, they're always like yeah. crazy names. Right. They're like the you know kill Muslim program. Uh, uh, gentlemen, this is the uh, kill all blacks conference. All right, uh, real quick. First thing we wanted to bring up: name change. I think we should go huh? with the Rose Gang. Uh. Who is this guy? I'm new. I'm wanna... actually I'm I'm from Twitter. I'm, right. I'm... Well, the job we're trying to get done here is to kill all blacks. So we're gonna go ahead and call it the kill all blacks. Oh, okay. You're a fucking idiot. Thanks. Hey, idiot, sit down. Can I keep the pen? Thank nope. you. Oh shit, really? Twenty-three FBI offices were told to quote disrupt, misdirect, discredit, or otherwise neutralize the activities of black nationalist hate type organizations. I love how they're the hate organizations. Right. One of the hate organizations was, of course, Martin Luther King. Yeah. That dude. Ah, Rage. So hateful. Rage. Hoover also greatly feared the leftist white community and white youth uniting with black activists together in support. Right. So that was the big fear. Right. Racists coming together was the nightmare scenario. So the Panthers working with gangs in Chicago was highlighted. Okay. Oh, wow. Right, so yeah. that he's he's already Fred's already made peace, right. And working with Latino gangs, right, and black gangs—that's a fucking nightmare, right? Um, yeah, 
But most importantly, what the FBI really wanted to do was to prevent the rise of a black leader, one who would bring together African-Americans. Hoover called this person the Black Messiah. And Fred was a terrifying prospect to the old guard. Oh, boy. After Nixon was elected in 1968, Hoover publicly said the Black Panther Party was the number one threat facing the United States. Oh, that's so crazy. The FBI started manipulating The police. number one threat. Yeah, the Black Panthers. It's the United States of America. Yeah, it's the U.S. Uh, we are all created equal. Asterisk. Well, I mean, not all of us. You know, uh, some of us, not so much. Oh, I thought that was insinuated. Mm. Uh, the FBI started manipulating police who would then raid Panther paths, leading to shootouts and arrests. Black activists were being killed, like Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. Bobby Hutton, etc., on and on. Police were uh, being killed as well. And Chicago police were done with all the bullshit. The residents of an all-black housing project were fighting for a traffic light to be installed at a dangerous intersection. Two brothers... 17-year-old John Soto and Michael Soto, who was a 20-year-old Army sergeant on leave from Vietnam, became leaders of this campaign. On October 5th, John Soto was stopped by police and, quote, shot accidentally after a struggle. Mm. Uh, He was shot in the back of the head. So it was a weird struggle. It is a strange struggle. It is a struggle. Execution style is a strange struggling moment. Often, if you're fighting with someone, you... Blow the back of their brains out. Yeah, yeah. That happens. You sure. put a gun to the back yeah. of their head. And... No, you got him in a half, half Nelson. Right. Whoopsies. Yeah, and the thing about shooting him in the back of the head is hopefully, well, you're either behind him. No, because it's a struggle, so you're in front of him, so the bullet might hit you. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, five days later. Suicide, he... I tell you. Yep. Five days later, his brother that Michael. Would, that would be the best way to like, like if you wanted just your death shrouded in a little mystery, just back of the head. Oh, shoot. Back of the head of yourself. Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. And leave a note that just says, find him. <laughs> That'd be a great way to go out. Just puzzle the... Just make everyone think that this is a huge conspiracy. Um, five days later... You're looking for the tailgater. What is that? That's it. That's the note. That's the whole thing? Yeah. I don't think I likes to party. He and likes football. And I don't know who's writing the note. They're like, how did he... How would he write it after? My God, something's just amiss. Five days later, John's brother, Michael, was also shot and killed. Police said he had pulled a gun. Well, it was a genetic thing. The community believed that both men had been murdered by police for their activity. What? Soon after, Fred gave a speech at Northern Illinois University. Quote, you've got John and Michael Sato who were murdered. They shoot somebody with no intention of arresting them. It takes two to tango, motherfucker. Wow. As soon as you kick that door down, I have to kick it back on you. We don't lock our doors. We just get some good guns and leave them motherfuckers open. He's changed. <laughs> well, okay, so a little Fred, caterpillar's a butterfly. So Fred doesn't carry guns. Fred is a spokesman. So the spokesmen don't carry guns. But okay. what the spokesmen do is deliver the message. Right, but it's, it's not like, like the, the sp- but, so, but the the angle on that being that they're like off limits to an extent, right? To an extent, but they're still not, they're not they're, they're not supposed to be harmed in this because if they never have a gun, right? They they shouldn't be harmed, right? They right. Sh- they shouldn't be allowed to be shot or killed or whatever. Right. They're kind of out of right. Yeah, I almost um, made an NFL comparison, but uh, nope. No, you're talking about the Niners when they won the championship in '84. Nope, same thing. Okay. Uh, so this was obviously a serious message he was putting out. Right. 
The next month, two policemen were killed in a shootout with two Black Panthers in Chicago. I read there were different things, but it sounds like these two Black Panthers ambushed them. But okay. also with what was going on, you couldn't tell if the police were telling the truth or not. Well, Panthers are great at stalking. Okay. They keep not. low to the ground. Okay, so we should we should talk about how these aren't these aren't cats. These are these No, are, they're not cats. They're you know, they're I mean they're jungle cats. No, they're not they're, they're not a jungle cat. They're these are human beings no, no, who have given themselves a I, name. We're saying the same thing. Okay. These animals from uh you know, certain areas are are good at ambushing because they're quiet and they're able to keep low to the ground. I've watched a lot on this. Sorry, did you say they're humans? Yeah, we're gonna go ahead and wrap this podcast up. Great, I'm busy. Um so in late November, the court upheld Fred's ice cream truck robbery conviction. I mean, listen to what you just said. <laughs> uh, what, what is happening? The court upheld Ice Cream Gate? Yeah, so Ice Cream Gate is... It still won't leave him alone. Oh. 14 ice cream sandwiches were missing, sir. Where were you? He would begin serving his sentence in 10 days. On December 3rd, it was a slow day and cold. Wait, so this is the two to five year... Right, okay. Yeah, so right. he appealed, he lost his appeal. Right. So December 3rd, slow day, it's cold out, they ate in, and Fred fell asleep while talking to his parents on the phone. Uh-oh. Uh, William O'Neill was there, a bunch of other Panthers were there. Um, William left. At four in the morning, Black Panther Louis Trulock was asleep in the living room when he heard footsteps in the hallway and a knock on the front door. Uh-oh. Trulock asked who it was, and someone said, Tommy, and then started shooting. Another panther said he heard two thuds followed by shots. The policeman came through the door. Harold Bell was in the living room and ran in the back bedroom to wake up Fred, but cops were also coming in through the back door. Bell shook Fred, but he couldn't wake him up. Bell then crawled to the corner to avoid being shot as bullets flew everywhere. A black panther named Doc tried to wake people up in the first bedroom, yelling for them to get down as shots whizzed past. He was then shot and started yelling in pain. He heard the others in the room doing the same. He then heard a voice from the doorway say, quote, We got him, we got him. After that, the voice said, If Black Panthers kill police, police will kill Black Panthers. Doc was ordered to stand up and walk out. When he stumbled because he was shot, the police told him to get up, nigger. He dragged himself up and hobbled out of the room. Deborah Johnson, Fred's girlfriend, now eight months pregnant, also shook Fred to wake him up, but he didn't open his eyes. She climbed on top of him to protect him from the bullets. The bed was being shot so much it was shaking. How is he sleeping through all that? Honestly. Good question. Louis Trulock was pushed onto the floor in the living room and kicked in the nuts. Quote, it was like a firefight. They moved to strategic positions. It seemed to last forever. The police definitely knew what they were doing. I heard more shots from the back bedroom. I could tell those were shots from a handgun. Then he heard the police yelling, That's Fred Hampton! That's Fred Hampton! The shooting stopped when someone else in the bedroom yelled, We got a pregnant sister in here. Then the two cops came into the bedroom and pulled Deborah out of the room. Fred was still lying on the bed with no blood on him. A police officer took Bell out, pushed him to the floor on his stomach, and cuffed him. The police pushed everyone into the kitchen. One police officer told Doc, you won't be able to have kids now because he's been shot four times between the stomach and the knees. Oh, wait. The, the, oh, shit. The guy, Doc. Um, 
And the other cops laughed when he said that because he's making a joke. Right. It's like when you have you ever seen the movie Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yeah. Like so, he'll shoot up a bunch of people and then he'll make a, he'll make like a wisecrack. Oh yeah, no, it's those cool. It's the the uh, preview lines. Right. So it's right. like that, right. but it's but it's um, but it's terrible in real life and happened. Right. Right. But it's exactly like that. Right. Um, doc- I mean, the, pre- the if we actually did cut together a preview for America, oh, oof. we should do America preview. Oh, yeah, good lord. Doc had been shot four times, right? Uh-huh. Uh, two cops then went back into the bedroom. One said, quote, he's barely alive. He'll barely make it. Then there were two shots, followed by one of the cops saying, quote, he's good and dead now. Harold heard them say, bring him out, followed by a thud of something hitting in the floor. Fred's body was put in the dining room, blood dripping from his head. All the Panthers were put in the kitchen and handcuffed. They all said the police kept saying, Chairman Fred Hampton is dead. Another Panther, Mark Clark, was dead in the living room. He had been shot in the heart. In the front bedroom, Doc, Verlina Brewer, Blair Anderson were shot. Brenda Harris had been shot in the living room. Doc was in the worst shape. His shirt was covered in blood. The police kept telling him to stand up straight, even though he couldn't, because he had been shot four times in the groin area. Mm -hmm. Harold Bell was a Vietnam vet, and to him the raid seemed like a military operation, with the police moving to vantage points under covering fire, quickly gaining control of the apartment. The Panthers were taken to the hospital and handcuffed to beds. The police refused to let the Black Panther lawyer see them in violation of Illinois state law. They were arraigned the next day. Meanwhile, the police didn't seal off Fred's apartment, so lawyers working for the Black Panthers put together an evidence team and gathered bullets and shell casings while a filmmaker recorded it. Look, you don't want to give notes on the side that is raiding a place and just shooting wildly, but uh-huh. Jesus God. I mean, Put that is... police tape or... Yeah. Or lock the door or have yeah. a guy stationed there. Yeah. Or shut it down. Yeah. Cover your tracks a little. A little bit. Illinois, Try. Illinois State Attorney Hanoran held a press conference. He said the Black Panthers shot as soon as the cops announced themselves from several rooms. The police had stopped returning fire. Is, three... is, is Fred dead? Yep. He is dead. Okay. The police had stopped returning fire three times and told the Panthers to come out. But the Panthers would just yell back, quote, shoot it out. According to Hanneran, this was an example of the, quote, extreme viciousness of the Black Panther Party. Uh, Hanneran had the seized Panther weapons displayed in front of him on a table, which was a horrible violation of police Procedures that stated weapons confiscated be inventoried and taken directly to the crime lab to preserve evidence. (laughs) The police don't seem to be trying too hard. I think they're they're a little sloppy. The word you're looking for is brazen. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Hanneran said Fred had a 45 caliber handgun and pointed it. Sleeping Fred. Yeah. Uh, Sergeant Daniel Groth, a police leader of the raid, said there were six or seven Panthers firing, firing for 10 to 12 minutes. Quote, if 200 shots were exchanged, that was nothing. Another officer said Fred fired him three times from the rear bedroom. Later, police would say Fred also shot at them with a shotgun. All would be charged with attempted murder of the police. And it just doesn't, I mean, obviously it just doesn't matter. It's just, they're like... This guy's now William Wallace so that they can paint that they were justified in doing what they were doing. Yeah. But there's like even that is just like wouldn't 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 you just have a quick powwow 
To just be like, hey, guys, let's say you had a handgun. Yeah, let's get All right, let's off. go get some chili yeah. dogs. You guys want to get a story straight? Yeah. Nah, we'll be fine. But not all cops were buying the story told at the press conference. The black police union held a press conference the night of the raid and said, quote, Fred Hampton has been murdered. Which is big. So the... No. Nobody gives a shit about the black police. But that's a bit, no. But that's a big. I mean, that is a big. That's a big thing for them to come out and say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The Panthers held the press conference and said Fred was shot while sleeping. They took reporters on a tour of the apartment to show the evidence of the one-way shootout. Fred's autopsy was done by a doctor. So now they're fucking bringing the press through. Yeah, they're the Panthers like, are though. Yeah, yeah. To be like, look, this is a, such bullshit. Fred's autopsy was done by a doctor uh, with a temporary Illinois medical license. Why, why an, aut- an autopsy to, okay, probably to corroborate the bullshit and be like, you can tell from the shooting that he, his muscle was flexed. Well, why, why do you have to import a doctor? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? We got to get an autopsy done. Do we have a guy that's not from around here? <laughs> can we? This is a super special case. Let's fra- fly in Lenny. Did you say fraud in Lenny? Frog? Do you say fraud? Fly. Fly. Okay, for a minute, fraud sounded like. No, it's fly. I didn't say fraud. Okay. No, 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 no. We're, we're, we're frauding in Lenny. Flying in. You said fraud. No, no, sure. no, no, no. For sure. Flying. Okay. From South Dakota, Lenny. We're going to fraud him in. It. it Damn, fuck. <laughs> All right, he's bullshit. <laughs> so they bring in this doctor. They give a temporary medical license. There's yeah, two bullet wounds. N- in normal head. stuff that yeah. you do with an autopsy. There's two uh, bullet wounds in Fred's head. Uh, that's what killed him. He did not check Fred's blood or stomach contents. The Pan- Panthers had their own autopsy done by a former Cook County coroner with two physicians and a lawyer present. So they actually get a guy from Chicago. So there is. Okay. He, uh, he found that both head wounds came from bullets fired from the top right side of the head in a downward direction. Well, that. Look, that's damning. Uh, Well, not if the... Okay, so um, have you ever seen the movie The Fly? Yes. So in that, Jeff Goldblum turns into a fly. Right. Man, like a man fly. Sorry, you're proposing just... At one point, he, he crawls up the wall onto the roof. I'm just saying there are possibilities here. You need to keep open. You need to keep your mind open to things. You just seem very closed off to ideas. Your defense is that Jeff Goldblum climbed on a wall when he was a fly man? Or the cops are sticky. Okay, uh, absolutely not going to hear anymore. Uh, that's enough. For sure. <laughs> or the cops. <laughs> I have two theories. <laughs> not crazy. I'm not a big know-it-all. Uh, Fred had a high dosage of the barbiturate secondol. Enough to make him unconscious or very drowsy in his blood. Fred did not take drugs. Right. The Panthers, he also fell asleep while talking to his parents. Yeah, and he just had a meal. Yeah. Right. That guy O'Neill was there earlier, too. What's that? That guy O'Neill was there earlier, too. Oh, right. Right. That's weird, huh? Rocket launcher. Oh, right. The Panthers then had a prominent firearms expert examine the crime scene. He concluded that besides two bullet holes in the front door, 80 or more shots came from the police. The second dead Panther had been the only one to shoot at police as he fell after being shot. 
it was concluded that Sergeant Groth shot first. Right. A Daily News columnist went to the apartment and wrote, quote, The state attorney says it was only through the grace of God that his men escaped with scratches in their pre-dawn raid on a Black Panther flat. Indeed, it does appear that miracles occurred. The Panthers' bullets must have dissolved in the air before they hit anybody or anything. Either that, or the Panthers were shooting in the wrong direction, namely, at themselves. Well, both so, are both seem possible. Right. There could be a lot. I think much. they were shooting at themselves. So, so far, so far, Your Honor, what I'm saying is that the bullets disintegrated and the policemen are very sticky and can walk on the waltz. Arrest my case. Um, get out. Innocent. I know I said that, but I'm just. What did you just say? Innocent. No, you don't get to say. I do. I just said it. Good God. (laughs) The Panthers opened up the apartment to anyone. They led tours through for the press, neighborhood residents, and civic leaders. There were almost 100 bullet holes in the walls of the apartment where the police had fired at the Panthers and none on the other walls, which would have happened if the Panthers shot back. Right. People lined up outside like they were going to a movie. An elderly woman toured the apartment and said, quote, this was nothing but a northern lynching. The tours led to the public demanding an independent investigation. The Chicago Tribune countered with several pages of, quote, exclusive interviews with the policemen from the raid. Oh, Okay. They all told detailed stories of what happened. The article came with a picture of a door with two black dots circled. Those were the bullet holes where the Panthers had shot at police, the article said. Good. The next day, competing newspapers printed stories clearly showing that the dots were just nail holes. Oh, God. (laughs) Well, they were trying to nail us. They... They had pictures up. They had nails. They had two posters <laughs> in the door. They were hanging a portrait at a bad time, Your Honor. Plus, they were shooting at themselves, which I think really caused a lot of this. Plus, and a lot I- of their bullets dissolved. Plus, they were hanging paintings. I'm on a wall! <laughs> Panoran then hired carpenters to construct a wooden mock-up of the apartment. Dude, and- if, you're, if you're these cops who did this, oh. you're just like, you know, I, 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 can I point out again, I was the one who say, let's do 10 minutes here and just make it a little yeah, more I believable. I said, let's go to a fucking Denny's and sit down and talk about this. You guys wanted to just get out of there? Jesus Christ, Everyone wanted guys. to watch the game? What the fuck? 10 minutes, we'd be like, Joe, where were you? Where were I? What was I doing? What was who shooting? Do you fuck. think it's too late? Ah, it's too fucking late, Jesus. Oh, okay. They're doing tours. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tours. Yeah, yeah. Fucking nail holes. Yeah, they was, wasn't they? No, God, you're a fucking... Jesus. I am a Jesus, isn't no, I? No, you're a cunt. Oh, wait. You just took me on a real up and down. <laughs> uh, so, uh... So Hanran starts, so he hires guys to build a wooden mock-up of the apartment and then films officers doing a reenactment of what happened. Uh, uh, Wait, that's when you know that you're telling the truth. <laughs> when you... <laughs> it, I, and I, I this, it, I will, let, let's just say this, that there's a lot of good police. Yep. But man, sometimes 
when you hear the lengths of bullshit they'll oh go to. It's astounding. Yeah. Uh, this was aired on a local TV station. Sergeant Groth constantly glances off camera like he's looking for direction. Oh, boy. <laughs> so they didn't even have a dress rehearsal? These guys aren't fucking actors. Once they're in there getting filmed, it's weird. You but have still to know to rehearse. move the wrong way on you know, rehearse. upstage, downstage. Rehearse. Fuck. It's so great. It didn't work. Why? I don't know. Uh, one of them had a puppet. Uh, is that real? Nope. Oh, God. I was about to, my head was about to pop. <laughs> I'm Officer Marionette. So much conflicting evidence led to the Justice Department convening a federal grand jury to possibly indict the police and their supervisors, including Hanoran. Of course, uh, there were two black people on the 23-member grand jury. Well, that's a fair that's, representation. Uh, it's called the jury of your peers. Yeah. There. It's sort of how our, our Senate operates. Right. An FBI firearms expert testified that the two shotgun shells, which the Chicago Police Crime Lab said came from a Panther shotgun, were actually fired from a cop's shotgun. He said the Panthers only shot once, and the police fired at least 90 times. I mean, that's crazy. The grand jury issued a 32-page report. No indictments. Wow. The report shit all over the Panthers, saying they were just looking for police persecution and donations. Quote, perhaps the short answer is that revolutionary groups simply do not want the legal system to work. You know, that's true. That's true. If you don't dig any deeper past that sentence, that's true. The grand jury report ends with, quote, finally, the grand jury wishes to acknowledge the invaluable investigated. No, 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 the no. Bureau investigation. Don't thank them. Without the cooperation, professionalism and proficiency of this agency, the grand jury could not have completed its assignment. The worst. The worst. In May 1970, the Black Panthers filed a civil complaint. Against 1970. Hannah his office, and the 14 police, the crime lab technicians, and those who had falsified the investigation. Wait, what did they want? They wanted them all gone. No, they, they want... Indicted. They will file a civil complaint, but they want money. Oh, the, now it's a civil suit. Well, if you go into a civil court... You, yeah, you're asking for you payment. Can, you can get... There, there's, there's less legal obstructions to getting information in depositions and such forth. But they've already tried to get indictments. They lost. Right. So now... But in... A better order could have been go civil, then you get to bleed out information that then you could use. Right, now they can get, now they can get information and, and so on. So it's, so it's why I believe so what happened, yeah. they pseudo Joe Simpson. It is why. It is exactly why. Yeah, because they will. Yeah, that's, that's part of it. You're like, okay, fine, you got away with it, but now we're going to like yeah, try to go. make your life miserable. Here we go. Yeah, and it didn't work with OJ because he peaked. He's still peaking. He's at his apex. He's doing fine. He's, the juice is good. Following public pressure in June 1970, a special prosecutor was appointed by Cook County Chief Criminal Court Judge Joseph Power. Judge Power was not down with the Black Panther Sorry, cause. Sorry, Judge Power is just such a... <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, you, could you not see that as an afternoon syndicated show after Bro Court? Judge Power. Uh, so he's a huge right-wing judge. Now... He was doing shit like just throwing shit out and clearly being biased and not allowing evidence in and blah, blah, blah. The special prosecutor criticized the judge for his actions in the case, so the judge fined him for contempt. The judge then cut off funding to the special prosecutor and, app- 
and appointed just the head of the Illinois State Police to investigate. Dude, you mess with Judge Power. You know what I mean? He's going to Yo, bring did it. Did you not read my name? My name is Judge Power. First name White. Finally, the grand jury announced they had returned an indictment. Judge Power responded by ordering it sealed and suppressed. The Chicago Council of Lawyers and the Chicago Bar Association is that allowed? Condemn the judge. What you can't no, just this guy's out of his fucking tree. All right, we're never going to open it. I'm pretty sure if I read correctly, he was appointed for life as well. I think that I don't think he was an elected judge. Smart. It's always uh, smart to give out those appointments. Now, some of this might be fucked up because I was reading through and and uh, it gets a little confused with is it grand jury from the grand jury? Is it from the civil case? So okay, but it was not over in August 1971. The Illinois Supreme Court grand jury indictment charged Hanaran, the 14 cops on the raid, and the police personnel who conducted the investigation with knowingly and willfully, fraudulently and deceitfully conspiring, combining, confederating, and agreeing to obstruct justice to prevent the criminal prosecution of Sergeant Daniel Groth and others and obstructing the criminal defense of the survivors. But, and of course, on February 3rd, 1972, federal judge... Uh, Sam Perry dismissed the charges against Hanaran and his assistant, saying they had full immunity. And then Perry dismissed the defendants from the crime lab and threw out the entire complaint, saying the allegations were, quote, scandalous and the language was improper. <sighs> then electric chair and missile maker William O'Neill's name popped up. You know, I'm not going to lie. We need a hero. <laughs> He's just put the rocket together. We need a hero. Jesus. In 1973, the Chicago Tribune wrote that I'm curious what he's been up to. O'Neill was a, an FBI informant in another case and had been since 1968. Oh, boy. This was a big deal because uh, if, if O'Neill had been the informant, the search warrant would be invalid and the raid illegal. We need a hero. <laughs> Because I believe Groth said he used another informant that he'd never produced. It was, yeah, it was just fucking crazy. And right. So, well, the whole case is, is predicated on the idea that if there's an informant there, that, that's illegal. So, they, so, if that, so they're, they've obviously lied about that, right? I don't think it's illegal. It's that they, they wouldn't produce this guy because he was tied up in other shit that they didn't want to be known. Right, but the real reason is because I don't know if, it unhinges I don't know if that was their defense, right? No, I don't think it was the same as the entrapment before because he was now hanging out with them a lot, so he could be in an apartment and it wouldn't be the same thing. The, but he's still undercover. He's still undercover. Well, he's a snitch. So what? He's too. He's he got too deep. Well, that's no, but, the defense. But he. But I, the, I, he was also buddies with them. The reason the warrant would be invalid is because they didn't say they got the information from O'Neill. They said they got it from another way. So they lied on the warrant. Oh, that's what it'll undo it. Right. Is that they lied on the warrant. Right. Okay. Uh, in August of 1973, an appeals court reversed Judge Perry's dismissal. After tons of FBI delays, O'Neill testified that he joined the Panthers in 1968 after being asked by uh, FBI agent Roy Mitchell. He was paid $100 per week. And he quickly became Fred Hampton's bodyguard and then chief of security. O'Neill's job was to find informers in the Panthers, like himself, for instance. His, his job was to find... Snitches. Snitches for who? For the FBI? His, the Panthers hired O'Neill. They gave him the position of finding snitches 
and he was a snitch. Got you. Wow. What a he must have been like. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> sure, I'd love to do that. On the stand, you know who I don't think is me. Me. Just want to start all, with number one on the list. Guy sitting in this electric chair that's not plugged in. You guys can trust me. That's why they also must have they, the, the FBI must have been so pissed when he got fired for building an electric chair in oh a rocket. God. They were like, dude, you were our Fucking line. Tone it down. I know. In retrospect, I shouldn't have told him about my rocket. <laughs> you shouldn't have built the rocket. What do you mean tell him about it? Well, I stand by the building. I, uh, you know what? I love him. The rocket's going to come in handy. On the witness stand, O'Neill denied drugging Fred, but admitted Fred never took drugs on his own. He just happened to get drugged that night. Sure. Linguini and pills. Now, while the while this was going on, the FBI only uh, gave 34 blacked out pages of documents on the case saying, quote, that's all we have. 34 blacked out pages. Yeah, that's, that's all they had on this case. They didn't have any other information on this case. So 34 pages that they can't read of right, just the blacked, blacked out material. But one document... Was Boy, they love black when it works for them, huh? Oh, girl. Breaks. One document was a hand-drawn sketch of Fred Hampton's apartment, and it was very detailed. Agent Mitchell testified that O'Neill was the snitch, and he had provided evidence for the raid. Also, memos, memos from Agent Johnson revealed the police had been given the information, and, quote, currently are planning a positive course of action. Johnson also recommended that they send a note from a concerned citizen to Chicago's biggest Northside gang saying the Panthers were helping the black community, but were not helping the black community, but were instead moving on territory. So they got in, they got... All this fucking information about right. how the FBI was just fucking all up. Building the K, right. All this shit. Yeah. Um, now, now this, this FBI agent has revealed that the, that the warrant is fucked now. Right, right. Right? Um, uh, Johnson was no longer working for the FBI at this, point, uh, at this point. He was now the CEO of Canteen Corporation, which was a vending machine company. I'm, I'm reminded of in uh, in the TV show The Shield when uh, the bad cops uh, get into vending machines. But anyway, at that point, well, it's I mean, it literally it also is what like that well, is sort of the early version of what our political system is now, totally. which, is, which is when, you know, you leave the Senate. And then you're like, I work for Lockheed Martin now. Uh, hey, look, uh, yeah, I got vending machines in all the government offices. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, Oh, um, also, uh, the mayor appointed Johnson uh, chairman of the Chicago Police Board, which good. decided civilian complaints against police brutality. Good. Good. Well, that's a good position for him. <laughs> He'll be fair. Now, at this point, Police Sergeant Groff is trying to make his story make sense because there's the a lot of holes. There's more holes than there are in the apartment. After searching, he came up with a dead black panther named Clifton Morgan. Morgan had died on some train tra- tracks when he accidentally blew himself up. He was barely a panther and had never been to Fred's apartment. Sorry. But, sorry. S- sorry. Yeah, go sorry. Because in my head, I thought what you were going to say would be something that I'd be like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, but then you talked about a guy exploding himself on train tracks. So do me a favor. Mm-hmm. One more time. Mm-hmm. So Groth, Sergeant Groth, who 
lied. Bad white cop who who said he had an informant he could never reveal all this time. Right. For his own safety. And and now now O'Neill's saying he is the he is the snitch. So he has to find another snitch to say that was his snitch. So he looks for a dead panther. <laughs> that that time wise will will add up with his crazy equation. Okay. So he finds a he finds a panther who's not really a panther. He sounds just more like a crazy guy who was kind of around the panthers and then ended up ended up blowing himself up on a train track. Okay. So okay. So kind of a crazy groupie fan. <laughs> He probably told someone about that plan, and they were like, dude, you might want to like float that up the ladder real quick. I got it. I'm going to go to the train track and blow myself up. What time okay. we meeting tomorrow? Now, Judge Perry had known about all these documents the whole time, but said they weren't relevant. So right. everything that's coming out, the judge says, no, I already knew about that. No, no, no. I pre-dismissed that. Nope. Uh, Agent Mitchell said he had been ordered to produce a document that he said he couldn't find. And any and day after day in the trial, the Panther lawyers would ask for it, and day after day, Agent Mitchell would say he couldn't find it. Then one day, he said he had, quote, gone through 30 volumes of files trying to locate it, but I cannot find it. The Black Panther then asked him how he could be looking through 30 files when the FBI had told the court they only had 34 pages. Mm-hmm. Uh. Officially, well, we, we call this a boo. Well, uh, officially in court. Okay, well, uh, a courtroom. Uh, officially, this is a boo. Well, they shot it at us, the files, and he just threw us down a smoke bomb. Yeah, smoke bomb. <laughs> Judge Powers, there. Hello, <laughs> I'm back, bitches. So, um, Judge Power. Later that day, with quote apologies to the court. 200 volumes of FBI files were wheeled into the courtroom, each volume Dude, I thought being he was, 500 pages. I thought he was – I mean he's full of it, right? He wasn't been going through shit. They had, he just exposed that there's tons of stuff. Yeah. And now they're like, oh, they, well, they well, said, well. They said Instead they of had, 34 redacted pages, now they have <laughs> too much. It's fucking insane. Right. So now they have – they literally have – these giant fucking volumes of files wheeled in. Somewhere O'Neill is firing up a rocket cannon, like, let me know when to shoot the evidence. <sighs> At that point, Judge Perry told the jury not to read the newspapers because there were headlines in them like government caught hiding thousands of files. <laughs> I don't know how damning that one is. I don't know if it's that persuasive. The judge then told the Panther lawyers... Uh, that he wouldn't give them time to read the files before questioning witnesses. <laughs> oh my god! No, no, well, you I'm can't. Not, why well, would I? Why would I give you time to read those? So then you'll know what's in them. I think the reason why they wear robes is because they don't want you to see how big their balls actually are. <laughs> this, is, this is one of the craziest fucking trials. I mean, for him to be able to be like, uh, no. If anyone ever says there aren't government conspiracies, yeah. just hand them this. Yeah, right, right. FBI Snitch O'Neill was asked if he was concerned that the map he made led to Fred's death. He said, quote, I was curious but not concerned. I think at some point I was curious 
And that was about the extent of it. Yeah, I felt sorry. I don't like to see anyone killed. I didn't particularly appreciate that he was killed, but it not, did not make me feel bad. Till now? Boy, you're really guilt-tripping me up here. I'm crazy. <laughs> the FBI lawyers asked for a dismissal, saying there wasn't enough evidence, wasn't enough evidence to determine uh, I, their liability. Stop. stop. <laughs> so now the FBI has been added. Stop. After this stuff, the FBI has now been added to the lawsuit, right? So after all the files. There's not the enough thing, evidence. They are added to it, and then their response... There's so much evidence against the FBI that they are added to a lawsuit and their response is to dismiss because there's not enough evidence. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's hard. They're really gleaming the cube. <sighs> Judge Perry dismissed all charges on April 17th, 1977. Dude. This is now eight years later. This trial this is crazy. He then said the Panthers had to pay the defendant's costs for producing the documents, which came to $100,000. I mean... He has told them to pay the FBI 100,000 documents. Dollars. Sorry, $100,000 for the documents they were hiding for years. Right. Well, to be fair, I mean, printing is not cheap. (laughs) (laughs) The Panthers appealed the decision. Mm. In 1979, an appeals judge ruled Hanran and the FBI did not have immunity. The warrant was not legal. One judge did not agree. One judge on the appeals court did not agree. He wrote a dissent. He had also been an FBI agent and was still active in the Society of Former Special Agents of the FBI. Yeah, but judges are able to be impartial. So he, right. So he, being very impartial, just disagreed. Yeah, with everyone else. The FBI asked the Supreme Court to take the case. They refused. So... Second trial began in 1980, and it went on and on and on. And in 1982, it was revealed the FBI lawyer had tried to coerce the mother of the guy who blew himself up. The FBI had tried oh to going corroborating the bullshit. They were trying to get the mother to snitch on her dead son. Hey, so did you get the chocolates? Did you get all the chocolates that we sent? And the flowers. We sent a bunch of chocolate flowers. and flowers. Boy, we were oh. just, we, uh, I'll tell you. I like ya. you. I like your hair. Big fan. I like your hair. I, um, mm-hmm. let me start with this. I, uh, boy, we were so, so upset when your son blew himself up uh, on the train 12, tracks. 12 That's years ago or whatever. 14. Always been my, uh, personal fear that I'll go. Uh, like I, that, you know what? I go down there every every. Uh, week oh, or so. we're I, I we're throw a little prayer down. We're you know? we're praying over yeah, there all the time. He's a good boy. Who's will be? You did get the chocolates. The other ch- you did get all the chocolates. So anyway, if you could just say he was, uh, you know, snitch. All right, we'll see you. All right, all right. He's a snitch. Enjoy the biscuits. He's a snitch. That's what you got to say. The FBI lawyer pretended when talking to the mother that he wasn't a lawyer and tried to get her to sign a statement. Who, what is he? How? I'm not a lawyer. Will you sign this? The FBI lawyer was then either fired or quit. He was no longer a part of the FBI. Oh, good. Very soon after that, the FBI, the city of Chicago, and Cook County agreed to split the cost of a $1.885 million settlement. It would be split among the survivors of the raids and the families of Mark Clark and Fred Hampton. The U.S. attorney said the settlement did not imply guilt. It what does it imply? To, it was just to avoid another trial. Uh, okay. It It was nearly 6 p.m. on Friday in 1980 when a gaggle of lawyers filed into the chambers of U.S. District Judge Joseph Sam Perry to argue an emergency motion to block a threatened rail strike against the Chicago and Northwestern commuter line. 
In the midst of the legal arguments, the 83-year-old judge, Sam Perry, interrupted. Is this the train that goes to Glen Ellen? The lawyers froze, informed that, indeed, the C and NW did provide the commuter service to his suburb. Perry chuckled. I would hate to have to call my wife to pick me up. Minutes later, he signed an order blocking the strike. He he wouldn't to be to just be clear. He didn't want it because it would mean that black uh, that what? This has nothing to do with the case. This is just how fucked up the right. But he but his his worry is that black people will be like he'll be around. Oh no, his worry is that he won't be able to get home that night. Oh, his worry is that it won't be able to get home that night. He stopped a strike. Oh, my God. Because he was taking the train. Oh, my God. Even worse than what I was thinking, and I was thinking something messed up. That's crazy. To publicly say that, it's 10 minutes out of our way. In April 1989, William O'Neill was interviewed. Quote, Fred Hampton drugged? I've never known Fred. I I knew him... For about 16 months, I've been with him in a lot of different situations. I've never known Fred to take drugs. And to take it a step further, Fred would not tolerate anyone even smoking marijuana around him. And I don't think any of us in the hierarchy of the Black Panther Party would dare get drunk or drink. So alcohol and drugs were a no-no. As far as the rumors that he was drugged that night, unless he was on some type of medication, I think it was just rhetoric. I think it was fabricated. I mean... It was proven in his blood. It was the autopsy. I mean, he. This is the worst. This is the worst explanation possible. Here's a guy. This is right. Now this is almost twenty years. This is come up with something. This is twenty. You've told it a couple times. Twenty years later, and he's babbling. You haven't workshopped it at all. As far as the insinuation that myself or someone else in the house would have drugged Frank, uh, Fred. Oh boy. Uh, Fred Hampton, I don't buy it. There's just no way. Fred was the type of person that you didn't have to drug. Anyway, Fred was always tired. He could get in a car, and we couldn't ride two blocks without him dozing off. Oh, oh, is he a toddler? Oh, sleepy Fred. Oh, car collecting Fred. Why he was the chairman. He'd always be like, I'm taking a nap. <laughs> I mean, he just, he was a high-energy person that ran on very little fuel. <laughs> Wherever he'd sit down, he was well rested. What? I have never, I have never believed that. I mean, I mean, it's just that is, it is really terrible. This is Liar McLiarman talking about going to lie town. Yeah, that's really craziest, worst, really not well put together. Like he is just a rambling jackass. He wouldn't take drugs, but I know that they found drugs in Frank. Fred, uh, listen, No, no, he wasn't. I know they. He wouldn't take. He didn't take drugs. I think it's a lie. Plus, we called him Mister Sleeping Man. He, we did call him Sleeping Man. We he, called him Mister Sleeping Man. He was. I know every time I called him Doctor Yanni Pants. Every time he saw him, he was Mister Uppity Guy. Yeah, he's all high energy. But then, but then, as soon as he was in the car, he was Mister Naptown. Yeah, I called him Heavy Island Harry. It was hard. You couldn't even. We used to say as a joke, "Boy, this guy wouldn't wake up if he was in a shootout." We actually did say a couple times, "This guy would sleep through his death." <laughs> we said it a lot. O'Neill got three hundred dollars to drop the map. What? $300. What is his deal? Nine months after giving the interview on January 17th, 1990, William O'Neill ran onto the Eisenhower Expressway on Chicago's west side and was struck by a car and killed. It oh, was boy. ruled a suicide. He basically was in his uncle's house and went bug fuck crazy. It 
he he betrayed a the Black Panther Party yeah. and a man. I will, I will put up uh, a little bit of his audio of one of his speeches. This guy would have changed shit. Really, Fred Hampton would have changed right. the game. I thought you meant O'Neill for a second. I was no, like, not Fred. Fred right. Hampton right. was the real deal. Right, and he didn't make it past what was he? I don't know, twenty two, twenty. They killed him so young because look at the shit he did when he was a fucking teenager. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you hear him talk, he's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Black Panther lawyer and author Jeffrey Haas asked Fred Hampton's mother in 2009, after all these years, what do you think our lawsuit proved? She replied, quote, they got away with murder. And they <sighs> did. Anyway, all, all lives matter. Is that what you're... Uh... It's tough, man. Really? It's, right. Yeah. Is that the answer? All lives matter or whatever? Yeah, yeah. All yeah. lives matter. That's a good response. Cop lives matter. Or what, what matters? Look, uh, there, are, there are, there are, I would say most cops are good. Yeah. I would say there's, like any other population, there's a fucking boatload of terrible people. And there are a lot of white supremacists have joined the police force. And we have a serious fucking problem that started ages ago and nothing has changed it really is our inability to ever hold the powerful accountable like we have we have a complete we we have like you know i mean and it's just what you're born into i mean you're just born into this like apathetic like i mean i remember as a kid like you would you know, like, I remember, like, reading, like, po- political cartoons in the paper or whatever, and I'd be like, it's weird that <laughs> that they're all crooks. And, like, we're just, like, <laughs> fine with this cartoon with a guy on, like, the steps of Congress with a briefcase full of money. And we're like, oh, har, 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 off to the cubicle. But if Nixon, what he d- did today, what he did then, he would walk away in a second. No one oh, would give a, dude, no I one know. Would give a flying fuck. Like, the, yeah. the idea that anybody will be punished is so gone and, and is so a huge part of the problem. Yeah. And is what's lighting the fuse that's slowly fucking burning. But it, it's also the fuse is, is, moves faster the more that they realize that we have no breaking point. We the, do, and we'll hit it, <clears throat> but until then, it's just going to be. Bullet to the back of the head, uh, he committed suicide. <laughs> and, and the problem with this story isn't that Fred Hampton was murdered. That's sort of how shit like this goes. Right. He was a revolutionary. Right. He was doing something that would quite possibly lead to his death. All the Black Panthers thought they could die at any time. Right. The real problem is that 20 years later, someone paid a paltry sum and none of these guys who committed straight-up murder, a murder that was ordered by those above, right? Totally. No one paid. Like, that's totally. the real problem. Is that, that, like, if people actually paid, then you get a sense of justice. You get, okay, something happened. But money doesn't mean fucking shit. That is totally the truth. The truth is that – and that's why you still see cover-ups now. Because no police department, no person, no agency – Wants to be the straw that breaks the camel's back and wants to be the one who now suddenly turns the whole culture 
in you know like the police it, culture, police culture, or even political culture. It, well, like there's you, 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 there's there, a you can't point. you can't deal with something if you don't process it. Right. So you can't sit around. I mean, we do, we do sit around. But this is what we do. We sit around and we go, why? Why is this happening? This is crazy. And the answer is because now there's like more evidence. That's the only reason. Right. Now there's video. There's video. And And the idea that this is like – It's not new. And it's not that I'm saying like, dude, I knew this was going on for 20 years. But it is – that's the difference. The difference is now we can see it and that's just a harder thing for us to wrap our heads around. Still, with that being the case – we still have no new legislation on guns, and there's been zero Nothing accountability is. as far as like what is at the root of this problem, and what do you do if a cop does actually murder a dude? Right. I mean, sometimes cops get prosecuted. It does happen. It well, does they're happen. Ne- they're never they're never found guilty. No, they are. Sometimes it happens. So rarely. It's rare, but it happens. It let's. I mean, that is true. It does happen. But look, the number of guys who've gotten off doing crazy shit is astounding. Yeah. And it happens way more often than not that five cops involved in a thing will get off because, again, they hold the evidence. So if you hold the evidence, yeah, you manipulate the the story, you know? Yeah. It's always fun to end with a we sign cars after uh, Um, – Well, we could do a don't don't, uh, go to Sofitel. Don't say the Sofitel in Los Angeles. That would be a recommendation. How's that for an ending? They killed Fred Hampton. (laughs) Tough. <laughs> Truly, that shit. It's so. I mean, and that no, is. I'm saying the Sofitel killed Fred. Hampton. Oh, they did. Right. I, I didn't make that connection yet. That seems like a reach. Are you willing to go on record with that officially? <laughs> <laughs> All right. That might be a stretch. Okay. I want you to know that I want you to think. If you ever think about me, and if you think about me, niggas, and if you ain't gonna do no revolutionary act, forget about me. I don't want. My, I don't want myself on your mind if you're not gonna work for the people. Like we always did, if you ask to make a commitment at the age of 20, and you say, I don't want to make that commitment, on the, because of the simple reason that I'm too young to die, I want to live a little bit longer, what you did, you did already. You have to understand that people have to pay the price of peace. If you dare to struggle, you dare to win. If you dare not to struggle, then goddamn it, you don't deserve to win. Let me say peace to you if you're willing to fight for it. Let me say it in the spirit of liberation. I've been gone for a little while. At least my body's been gone. You ain't got to feel after me. At least my body's been gone for a little while. But I'm back now, and I believe that I'm back to stay. I believe that I'm going to do my job, and I believe that I was born not to die in a car wreck. I don't believe I'm going to die in a car wreck. I don't believe I'm going to die from splitting on a piece of ice. I don't believe I'm going to die because I got a bad heart. I don't believe I'm going to die because of lung cancer. I believe that I'm going to be able to die what I was in, the, in the things that I was born for. I believe that I'm going to be able to die high off the people. I believe that I will be able to die as a revolutionary in the international revolutionary post-terror struggle. And I hope that each one of you will be able to die in the international post-terror revolutionary struggle and even be able to live in it. And I think that struggle is going to come. Why don't you live for the people? Why don't you struggle for the people? Why don't you die for the people? Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, This is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't. 
but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there.